Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. You're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, hey, what's cracking? And welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren McDuffie, also known as the Fat Man. And this segment is being brought to you by I'mTheFatMan.com. Tonight, we have a good episode. We'll be talking to Dr. Sachin Patel regarding mindset motivation, really uh, waiting on him to call in. Uh, but before he calls in, just remember, as always, to connect with me on the various social media uh, platforms. Please connect with me on Facebook at facebook.com slash I'm the fat man. And then you can also connect with me on Pinterest, which is I'm the fat man one, the number one. And then also uh, connect with me on Twitter at the fat underscore man. And also connect with me on, um, I, I think I just said Pinterest. <laughs> I forgot about that Twitter uh, Facebook, which I've already said as well. So please just connect with me on all of those social media platforms. What have I been doing? I just did a video on aspartame and sucralose. For those of you out there who don't know that aspartame is one of those things that are in diet soda and also is in um, a lot of, um, well, sucralose rather is in a lot of other products. Uh, bodybuilding supplements, um, dietary supplements, and these are things that you really have to look out for. So I did a YouTube video on that. If you have not been on my YouTube channel, my YouTube channel is Fat Body BC. So fat is spelled with the PH Body BC, uh, Boy Boy Carol. So Fat Body BC, you can connect with me on there, and you can just see all of the latest videos, all of the podcasts, that are I've done are snippets of those podcasts on there. So you can actually go and listen to a little bit of them and then see if you want to listen to the rest of the show as well. So all you have to do is just go to the YouTube channel and, and do that. Still waiting for Dr. Patel to call in. I think that's him in the switchboard. So let me see if that's him. Dr. Patel, is that you? Darren, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm great. Hi, I'm great. I'm great. We're actually on the air. Welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you tonight? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I was just sitting here babbling on, trying to think of things to say, to uh, create, so I won't have any dead air. <laughs> so it's, <wait. laughs> it's always good when you know when the guest calls in. But um, let's go ahead and, and get started. I always ask people the obligatory question of, their background, and I looked at um, some of your stuff that you've been doing, and you're quite the well-rounded person. But how did you get into the health, the health field? Well, great question, because I think that really matters. It really helps uh, paint a picture of, especially for patients and uh, even for your listeners, where this energy comes from, right? Because I think it, it does take. Uh, a lot of effort to do this and to go against the grain and and uh, every one of us has kind of a unique story about it so for me originally i actually was really good at computer programming and i thought i would for sure be a computer programmer and what i loved about computer programming was that it was very predictable which meant that if i put in a certain code 
then I could have a very specific outcome. And if the outcome didn't work, then I could have a, I could re go back and reformulate the, the code and, and make it work. And so I always kind of thought in that sense. And so my original thought was to be an engineer or a computer programmer because these things came naturally to me. But then right at the last minute, I changed my application and decided to go into the health sciences because I wanted to really help people. I realized I probably didn't want to sit in front of a computer all day. Um, and so as a result of that, I, I went into kinesiology, did my honors degree there, and then went to NYCC because the chiropractic philosophy and lifestyle um, and and you know mission really aligned with my core values, which was the innate ability for the body to heal if we give it the right environment. And so I started off as practicing really in sports chiropractic. And then in 2006, I was on the news because we were doing some amazing work with patients who had shoulder issues and joint issues, especially elbow pain. And mm-hmm. as a result of that, uh, which was really more of a uh, a physical modality type of intervention, what we realized is that all these people called in and none of them had elbow pain. All they had was uh, you know, chronic health issues like fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis and colitis. Those is massive people that called our office, but none of them had musculoskeletal problems. They all had what we would typically consider allopathic problems. But the problem was nobody was helping them because they were sick of the medications. They were getting sick from the medications. And sadly, at that point, I didn't really have anyone to refer them to because they had already seen every specialist. And so I felt helpless uh, for these patients. And as a result of that, I decided that I wanted to elevate my understanding and my training because there's really nobody helping this growing population of people who just don't feel well but aren't sick enough for medical interventions. And so that's how I got into functional medicine. And a few years after that, I opened up the Living Proof Institute, which is where we basically all we do is functional medicine and lifestyle medicine and interventions, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later today. But really, it's to make a long story short, it's it's been uh, really part of my own journey, which has then translated into the mission that our practice has to help people and serve people. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just mentioned functional medicine, and I know that that term is being kind of thrown around a lot. And for the average person out there, they probably may not know what that means. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about functional medicine? Sure. So functional medicine is it's it's really not unique. It's what I would call an amalgamation, and it's amalgamation of the best practices from any field of medicine. And if we classically define functional medicine, it's understanding the body in a different way. It's understanding the body from a systems standpoint versus a disease standpoint. And Jeffrey Bland, who's the father of functional medicine, who coined the term, really what he's trying to um, get across with functional medicine is that when we look at the body as a series of systems and cells and that are influenced by their environment and that are unique to each individual, what we do is we create a different system of medicine that is more personalized and patient-centered instead of disease-centered. So when I give my talks to audiences who all have the same diagnosis, what I remind them is that each of them is unique. Each of them has a different diet. Each of them has a a unique uh, set of genetics. Each of them has a unique environment and job and passion and relationships, and all of those things influence their health. So to really get people healthy, we have to look at all of the different systems internally and externally that impact their health. 
Yeah, I've always thought that um, <clears throat> we're moving more towards that paradigm where everything is going to be moving towards functional medicine, um, not just patching things up but getting to the root cause of it. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that's something that's actually beginning to happen where more and more people that are in medical school are starting to run towards that model of functional medicine? You know, I, I think there's definitely a, a huge move in that direction because when I talk to medical practitioners, every single one of them that I talk to, either at that very moment or over the next year or so, after really having a deep discussion with themselves, realizes that this is the really the only way to get people better, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the end point? Is our end point that we have a numb population, right, that doesn't feel any pain, that feels no emotion, right, that is completely unreactive to its environment, desolate from its environment, right? Or do we want a population that's robust, that's healthy, that's vibrant, that's contributory, right? So we have to ask ourselves, what is the end point? And then we have to ask ourselves, is what leads us to that end point? Because certainly the way we're approaching health does not lead us to that 20, 30-year vision that we should have when it comes to our health, right? So functional medicine and, and lifestyle medicine combined are extraordinary because they celebrate your uniqueness. They celebrate the individuality of, of the patient, Um but then they also, it also creates a lifelong solution. So when somebody understands their, what we call constitution, or when they understand the impact of their environment and certain foods and certain uh, behavior patterns on their health and how that impacts them individually, you get way better compliance. And because you're applying a Pareto principle, you're making s- small yet significant changes to their strategy and you're producing results relatively quickly. It's amazing how much people's health can turn around in a very short period of time because now you have a strategy that uses the body as a tool to heal instead of, uh, you know, basically blaming the body for not working properly. Mm-hmm. You mentioned... So I, I think there... Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was saying... So you I'm mentioned... saying so I, I... Go ahead. I'm sorry. This, this... Okay, no problem. Right. So... Uh, basically what I was getting at is that once we ask ourselves the, what our endpoint is, then it changes our decision-making. But if we just think very short-term, then, you know, numbing people and and uh, just making them immune to their environment, you know, that's a, a whole different goal. Yeah. You mentioned functional medicine and lifestyle medicine. Are those interchangeable terms or are they something totally different? Because I've never heard the, the term lifestyle medicine. Explain that to me. Sure. So functional medicine is in combination with lifestyle medicine basically means that we're using lifestyle as a tool. Functional medicine is understanding the body as a whole and a series of systems, but it also incorporates specific laboratory assessment and analysis. We can do what we call functional diagnostic testing with patients. We can look at how their systems work if they have certain nutrient deficiencies or if they have certain mineral deficiencies or if they have imbalances in their fats. These are objective data points that we can collect, and that classically falls under the functional medicine umbrella because it's it's what the patient does uh, or what the doctor does, rather, for the patient, right? He provides this intellectual information to the patient. What the doctor also then does or should do, in my opinion, is provide lifestyle tools. So this 
now impacts what happens when the patient leaves the office. I always say that it's an 80-20 split, and I'm going to do 20% of the work. The patient's going to do 80% of the work, and -hmm. I'm going to provide them the strategy to do that because really what we want to do with lifestyle medicine is use the body as a tool to heal. So if we can get people aligned with their circadian clock, if we can get people aligned with what the right type of environment to eat their food is, and if we can get people aligned with chewing their food and being in a parasympathetic state when they're when they're eating, then what we now do is we optimize the function uh, of their of their body in accordance to the task that they're trying to accomplish. Right? Most mm-hmm. people are trying to eat a meal with the physiology of a marathon runner. Right? Their stress hormones are through the roof which is a sympathetic response, and they're trying to accomplish a parasympathetic activity. So helping explain this to patients and then integrating it into their day-to-day life is where you start to produce uh, the most dramatic results because there are certain things you can't supplement away, right? You can't out-supplement a sedentary lifestyle or a negative way of thinking or a bad circadian clock, right? You can't out-supplement those things. So we have to teach the patient how to incorporate them into their lifestyle to produce results. Yeah. What are the implications? I know that when a patient comes to see you, it's kind of that last resort. They've been around from medical doctor to medical doctor, and the doctor probably says that, you know, there's there's nothing more we can do for you. And then they, they come upon you. What are the implications? Um, and and we, we probably see this in society. What are some of the implications if we do not go towards that model, towards a more functional medicine uh, model? What do you think is going to happen? Great question. I I think we kind of see what's happening as a result of it already. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's – and here's what I believe, and, and here's how I work with my patients – what I remind my patients of is the difference between a firefighter and a handyman. Really, you, you want both, right? You want access to a firefighter when you need him, and you want access to a handyman when you need him. The firefighter is going to use a different set of tools. He's going to use axes and fire hoses, and he's going to be there in an emergency. The handyman is going to help you make your house more comfortable to live in. So when he comes to your home, he's looking at different things. Right? When a firefighter comes to your home, he's looking for fire or he's looking for smoke. When a repairman comes into your home, he's looking for completely different things that are more associated with the comfort. And so I remind patients that think of your medical doctor like the firefighter. Right, You want him there, you need him there, and you're glad that he's there in case there's an emergency. But you don't want to call your firefighter if you're trying to paint a wall in your house right? or if you're trying to build a deck or put a new roof on these are things that a different group of people address for you. And and so if we complement each other to take care of this home in the best way possible, that's when we get the best results. I don't replace your medical practitioner, and certainly he or she doesn't replace me. So we can work without stepping on each other's toes. We're typically going to do the things that uh, medical practitioners uh, may not have the time to do or maybe... Um, in some cases may not have the knowledge or their practices or businesses just aren't set up that way where they could allow us to provide complementary services that, you know, include the lab testing and also include the dietary and nutritional advice and lifestyle advice that the practitioner may not be providing. So I think it's it's actually a great complement. We need both. We just need to use each in the correct way. And until that happens, 
And until we have really enough doctors uh, trained, because that's another problem, is we have millions, hundreds of millions of patients that need this service, but we have very few doctors that are trained. So there really needs to be a big push uh, to really make this transition take place as well. Yeah. In your practice, do you use any type of uh, pharmaceutical drugs or everything just more on a supplemental basis, like supplements? So interestingly, my wife is actually a pharmacist. Mm. And and so she provides a very interesting perspective for us. You know, she's, we, we believe, our belief is that, you know, there is a time and place. I believe that if somebody's in excruciating pain, like my brother broke his leg a few months ago, give that person pain medication, and we're happy that those medications exist, right? And so there's certainly a time and place. And, you know, in our practice, we're really trying to help people get off medications. That's part of their goal. That's part of the reason that they're coming to see us. So under the guidance of their prescribing physician, we would help coach the patient on how to make that a reality through nutrition and lifestyle and and alignment. Yeah. What if... Let's say I search you out and I'm a patient and I, I come in. What do you do that's different that the medical doctor doesn't do? I know, for instance, the last time I went to the doctor, it's been a while. I went in, I filled out a little form that says they checked my family history, you know, that I have any incidents of heart disease or diabetes, and I say yes or no, blah, blah, blah. I go in, I get looked over by the doctor. But what do you do that's different to kind of drill down into a patient and really get them well? I think the the major differences are, at least from the feedback that we get, is that we spend more time with our patients. So our initial consultation is is typically an hour. Uh, Sometimes Mm -hmm. it can be 90 minutes if it needs to be. Uh, We have a very thorough intake form. Uh, Some patients complain that it's too too thorough. So I guess it's a good history. Yeah, what are some of the things that you ask on your intake form that might be a little well, we different? Ask, we ask about, sure, we ask about, and, and I don't think it's it's different, but you typically have to see eight different doctors to have that complete of a history because of the different mm-hmm. systems we look at. So we, we pay close attention to the digestive system. Uh, we pay very close attention to nutrition. We pay very close attention to, uh, you know, there's there's a simple question that the patients fill out that it's divided by different systems. So that helps us at a glance figure out how to connect the dots uh, with each other and then explain it back to the patient in a way that they can understand. So education is a big part of our practice. Gaining knowledge and developing a relationship with with the patient is a big part of our practice. And and also helping them understand that, you know, symptoms are the last thing to show up. And so therefore, in our current medical model, you have to have smoke or fire in order to call, call the fire department, right? And right. so in a case like this, the paradigm is different. The questions I'm going to ask are different. I'm not asking disease questions. I'm asking health and wellness questions, and I'm asking questions of not what disease do you have, but what opportunities do you have to improve your health. So it's, it's you're looking at the person from a completely different perspective than their medical practitioner would, and I'm glad the medical practitioner uh, looks at the patient the way he does because he's, that's exactly what he's looking for. That's what his training is in, and that's where he serves us best. Right? The mm-hmm. problem isn't the problem isn't doctors. The problem is we're using the doctors for something they're not really trained to do. Right? They're excellent at diagnosis and they're excellent at um, you know managing diseases. And if that's what we're trying to do, then 
so be it. But I don't think that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get people to understand how to take better care of themselves before they develop diseases and identify problems way before they become symptomatic. Right. A patient that comes to you and they've been to many, many different doctors and doctors said, hey, you know, I can't really do any more than what I've done for you. How do you switch their mindset? Because if I'm coming to you and I've been to several different doctors, it's like, okay, I'm going to Dr. Patel now. What's going to be a little bit different? I mean, what's going to make him different? How is he going to motivate me and get my mindset correct to where I can begin the healing process? Sure, absolutely. Great question. The first thing that we do is when the patient fills out the form, one of the first sections I look at is brain health. And one of the most interesting neurotransmitters that I'm actually uh, writing a book about is, is dopamine. And dopamine is what I call the motivation molecule. So when I see a patient who has a chronic illness, one of the things that I see depleted um, almost ubiquitously in, these, in this population is dopamine levels. And when people have low dopamine levels, their ability to make decisions, their self-worth, their ability to start and complete a task, or their ability to start and complete a, a nutrition program, all of that starts to become impaired. And so what I look at is what is the state of this patient's brain health because that's going to determine if they actually take any of the recommendations that I give. Most doctors give really good recommendations, but what most doctors do is they don't shift the balance of responsibility back onto the patient. So when somebody comes to me, the question that they walk into my office shouldn't be, what is Dr. Patel going to do for me? The question is, what is Dr. Patel going to tell me that I can do for myself? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, if you, if, if, I, if you come in as a patient and you're going to say, I've tried everything, I've been to every doctor, and then the next question that's going to come out of my mouth is, um, what time are you going to bed? What time are you waking up? What are your relationships like? Well, what are your friendships like? Do you love what you're doing? Right? What's your what's your light exposure like? Right? Are you spending time outdoors? You know, how many hours a week are you working? These are things that all impact your health that your doctor can do nothing about unless he teaches you what you can do about them. Mm-hmm. So one of the core things that we talk about in our in our practice is alignment. And I'm not talking about structural alignment, which I also believe is important as a chiropractor. But uh, what I'm talking about is alignment with our actions and our goals. So, for example, if you want to win, if you want to be an Olympic athlete, you have to do everything like an Olympic athlete, right? You have to sleep like one. You have to eat like one. You have to train like one. You have to recover like one. You have to visualize like one. So you have to have all of these aspects in your life in alignment. So if you want to be healthy, then you have to sleep like a healthy person. You have to eat like a healthy person. You have to have healthy relationships. Everything in your life has to be healthy because everything sets the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How right, much? So, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, so really that's, that's what I think it boils down to. The difference is, you know, how we're going to shift the responsibility and how we're going to explain your, your role in your health and then also explain our role. And then the other thing that makes us different is we, we do different testing. Usually it's rare that a patient has had um, any of the tests that we, we typically recommend from a functional standpoint. Yeah. How much would you say the mind plays a role in healing? I, I think I was scrolling through Facebook one day and uh, I saw this article. I can't remember um, who wrote the article, but they were they did a study or someone was talking about the effects of the mind and how much the mind plays a role in, in healing the body. What is your um, perception yeah. of Well, the mind creates our reality, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so I 100% believe, and in fact, I discussed this in many of my workshops, is that the sign, if, 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 we've, if we've done anything with double-blind random control studies, if we've done anything with this type of research, is that we've proved the power of the human mind, right? So the reason we have to do these studies this way is because we have to control for the power of the human mind. So every scientific study that's ever done that has a placebo group is proof that the mind is the greatest healer. Right, right. So, so really the mind is, is the most powerful instrument. And it's not just the physical um, mind, you know, uh, there's the biochemical mind as well, right? So the, there's a symphony of biochemistry that has to work properly. And, you know, one thing that's often overlooked is that is that biochemical individuality when nutrients are depleted. So we play, we also have to understand that if a person doesn't have good chemistry, that doesn't make them a bad person. Just like if, if a person doesn't have a car that's running efficiently, that doesn't make them a bad driver, right? So another thing that we try to do is separate the patient as, as a person, as, as a soul, from the actual physical body and have them view it like the car and driver type of relationship because you could have good intentions, but if you have bad chemistry, you're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so we, it's, um, I think that's an important part of it is, is also recognizing the condition of a person's brain. If they've been eating an inflammatory diet or if they've had a leaky gut and a leaky blood-brain barrier for many years, then the, the inflammation in their brain changes the way their brain functions. Yeah, is that related so to yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, if um, depression, you know, if you see people with any type of depression and just emotions in general, how much have you seen in your practice where emotions might have a, a play in someone being sick or making themselves sick? Absolutely. We see that all the time. You know, in fact, I'm sure you, you're well aware of the gut-brain connection and yes. the connection between our gut biochemistry and microbiome as it's referred to and the chemistry of our brain the two are uh, you know basically inseparable from a neurological standpoint uh, and chemical standpoint but you know almost the exact opposite when you think about um, their function and you know the way they would physically look as well they're they, they seem like polar opposites so the the gut and the brain are almost like the yin and the yang right so the chemistry of the brain is significantly impacted by the chemistry of the gut and there's so there's a strong interplay between the two we had a patient that came in and he had significant depression and you know one of the things that he picked up on at our workshop is that his depression may be related to his thyroid problem well it turns out his thyroid problem was autoimmune and which means again it goes back to the gut and once we cleared up his gut, he had an imbalance in clostridial species of bacteria. And mm-hmm. as a result of that, it was causing brain-based inflammation. Once we cleared up his gut, his depression completely went away. Wow. It's amazing how you can just pinpoint one thing and it uh, actually solves so many other things, solves so many other riddles in the body. You had a very interesting video, and the reason why I picked this video, and I want to ask you a little bit about it, because I experienced this. I experienced being out in the hallway uh, when my mom my mom had cancer, 
And um, just before she she passed away, I remember being out in the hallway with the doctor and him telling me that there was no more that they could do for her. And I hear these stories all the time, being someone who's always promoting health and talking about health. And one of your YouTube's two videos really hit home with me because you talked about not taking away someone's hope. And I don't I know uh, people that are listening aren't probably didn't see that YouTube video, but talk about that a little bit of why it's so important to give patients hope. Right. You know, I, I think that at the end of the day, that's all we have right? mm-hmm. uh, in any in any aspect of our life. Right. We we all wake up with with a sense of hope in our lives. And when it comes to our health, you know, the, what we always have to remind ourselves is this is somebody else's opinion. Right. That what that statement tells me is that this is a limitation of this individual. Right, it's a limitation of their belief systems, and I don't want to subscribe to their belief systems. Right, and sometimes you know when the doctor says this is all I can do for you, that's okay. That might be all that person can do for you. Right, there's a certain level. Even though my dad loves me incredibly, there's a certain level that he could teach me about how to use Facebook, for example. Right, so you know sometimes that is all that person can do for that other person. And that's okay, it, it, but it doesn't mean that that person should give up hope on themselves or hope on finding somebody else that might have a different um, attitude towards the case, right? Or might have a, a different knowledge base that can help the case. There's, there's, the question never becomes the intention, the question of the doctor. The question always becomes, you know, what does this doctor think is possible? And, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard for us to admit that that's all we can do for somebody, um, especially when we know that... Uh, you know, that's obviously a very valued and loved individual. Yeah. Have you ever worked with someone who they have their own limitations, which won't allow you to bring them into a deeper level of uh, healing? They they just are very resistant to your treatment and, and doing the things that, that they need to do in order to kind of bring about their own treatment. Because the way that I look at it is that you're probably just an instrument. You're there to give them a little bit of guidance. Hey, this is what we're going to do. But like you explained, it's up to them. But have you ever been in that situation where you have that person who is, has their own limitations and they're not willing to give up those limitations in order to heal? I, you know, there's there's lots of cases where um, the patient is the limitation, right? Mm-hmm. And and not just in what they believe, but sometimes in their circumstance. So there's so many people that I know, and you know, I, again, I just I kind of uh, it's going to sound like I'm going off topic, but I'm really not. So I, you know, when I think about my patients, and I when I think about the number one stress that people have, because we ask them about stress in different areas of their life, the number one stress people have is financial. And so what happens is a lot of people get trapped in a job and then they uh, live out this dream where they buy a house and now they've got this mortgage and now what they've got is a job that they hate, that they've got to spend two hours a day driving to and from and spend eight hours being sedentary and and, uh, hating their environment, right? And so people get trapped in this in the, with this issue, and they know they need to quit their job. You know, I'll give you a story, and I did a video about this too. I had a patient who who hates her job terribly, and she's trying to get pregnant. And we've done every functional test on her, and I had a conversation with her. I said, you know, there's really no physiological reason you shouldn't be able to conceive. 
And she's like, you know, I can't wait till I get pregnant so I can quit my job and not go back. And then I asked her something, uh, which I thought was very important for her to, you know, it was a profound awakening for her. I said, you know, if once your child is born, would you ever take it to the, would you ever take it to your office space? And she says, no, I hate it there. Why would I take it there? And I said, well, you're, what do you think you're going to be doing for nine months when you're pregnant? Hmm. Right? Because your physiology is, is stress physiology, and that's what you're bathing the baby in. Yeah, that's so, what I Yeah. And, and so the limitation in this case is the patient because she recognizes how much she hates her job, but she's got to take that plunge, right? But she's financially committed because she's got this mortgage. So it's interesting how all these things loop around and they destroy our health, right? And because of all of these uh, financial circumstances, people get themselves into. So it's not, we think that it's the, health that bankrupts the patient, but they're already bankrupted in a sense or heading down that path, and that's what causes their illness. Right. A lot right. of people it, are... It, Go ahead. I said you, it's rare to find people who are stress-free, who love what they do, and who have amazing relationships in life. It's rare for those people to get sick. Yeah. Would you right? say it's, that... Go ahead. Uh, would you say that type of thing is more important than the diet, or do they kind of go along together? You know, it's it's hard to separate one from the other. Think of it this way: it's it's like asking me what's more important to a plant, sunlight or water. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so really, for this to work, you need everything. Back, you know, back to that term alignment. You need everything in your life aligned with what your end goal is. It's, it's like all four tires have to be pointing in the same direction. So you really need everything com kind of complements off each other. But I, if I had to choose, right, if I had to choose eating a really healthy diet and living a very stressful lifestyle versus living a very low-stress lifestyle and eating an unhealthy diet, I would choose a low-stress lifestyle 100 times out of 100. Yeah, yeah. What are some things that... Back to the story, because I wanted to, I was actually interested in the story. Did she ever quit her job, or did she continue with her job? Well, this just happened, this conversation just happened two weeks ago. Uh -huh. So I, I think that uh, when I mentioned her taking the baby to work with her, I think there was a, a major awakening. So I, I actually, right after I got off the phone with her, I sent her an email on how to write a resignation letter. So... I'm hoping that she's uh, built up the courage to send it in. So I'll find out. I'll keep you updated on that. Yeah, let me know. But it's amazing how people will stay in a situation, and I think most of the time it's out of fear because they are mm -hmm. very fearful of what the circumstances may be. And this goes back to what you were saying earlier is that you create your own reality. So if you created that one job, then chances are you can create another one that's just a little bit different, a little less stressful, and something that you might like but we tend to um, forget that. Um, with diet, we just kind of got into diet. What are some of the things that you do mm -hmm. with patients to kind of get them into? Are you, I think you, I looked on your website. I think you, your diet website, I think you had some gluten-free tips on there, which is which is good. I'm, I'm gluten-free. But what are some things that you do for patients in their diet? Do you kind of strip their diet bare bones down and make them start over, or do you point them towards um, more of a like a paleo diet. How do you work with them when it comes to their diet? Good question. We we really try to focus on making sustainable changes, 
And every patient that we work with, we actually create a customized diet. So we have a series of questions that we ask the patient that basically ask them about their ethnic preferences, what spices they like to use, um, you know, of course, considering what their health goals are and what their food sensitivities might be if they've had that tested. We really try to create a hypoallergenic whole food diet. And what that means is we take out the major allergens, we take out wheat, we take out dairy, we take out uh, grains if a patient's want patient wants to be a little bit more advanced. There's different stages of offerings that we have, um, you know, kind of a one, two, three-step program in terms of elimination. And then we can take out eggs if somebody's showing signs of sensitivity, and we can take out soy and anything processed. The You know, really the obvious stuff at this point is what we start with. If patients have autoimmune disease, then we would be a little bit more strict with the grains and, and take out some of the nuts and some of the nightshades if they have joint pain. So it really depends on what the patient's dealing with. But then we also remind patients that this isn't going to be, you know, if we can at least get you shifting and moving in the right direction, then let's start there. Sometimes we can just start adding essential fats. We can start adding things like vitamin D if they're low uh, without making some massive changes. In some patients, I had a patient come in two weeks ago, significant depression, and he's a completely different person in two weeks. I told him, just give me a month. Don't even change your diet. Just let me support you nutritionally and give you what you need. And he started feeling amazing. And now that we've got his brain working better and his dopamine levels up, now he's more willing to make some of the changes we need him to make. So sometimes it's, it's uh, you know, understanding, meeting the patient where they're at and then taking them at a pace that's comfortable for them. Yeah. You mentioned testing. Do you do um, nutritional testing? You mentioned just mentioned by vitamin D. Do you see where their levels are at on certain um nutrients and then make the recommendation to where they should be supplementing? Uh, yes, we yes we do. So we typically on every patient do an organic acid test. Mm-hmm. And an organic acid test allows us to look at about eight or nine different systems in their body, particularly their mitochondria, their detoxification pathways, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, yeast overgrowth, uh, oxidative stress, B vitamin methylation status, neurotransmitter status, so from a single urine sample, we can collect you know, data from several different systems in the body that uh, help us take a snapshot of that patient's physiology. And because we're working with patients on a cellular level, what that does is it allows us to have systemic improvement. So now we're not just improving the function of one system in their body, but we're improving the function of all the cells in their body, which are what drive all the systems. So it's, right. it's, it's pretty profound what you can learn about a person's chemistry and then it's also even more profound when you can start seeing changes in a very short period of time. Yeah, it seems like once you you are able to supplement those levels, the, it's, the changes could be um, miraculous. When you are looking at your patients, you're doing these type of uh, profiles on them. What are some of the things that you notice the common um, nutrient deficiencies? The most common nutrient deficiency and it's really a hormone, it's probably vitamin D. Hmm. So I would say that about 8 out of 10 patients that come into our office have low vitamin Ds. I'm actually not, I'm never shocked when I see a low vitamin D. I'm shocked when I see a normal vitamin D. Like I want to <laughs> interview the patient. <laughs> like what are you doing? Give me some tips. Because it's it's so rare to see a normal vitamin D. We're, I'm up in Toronto and, right. you know, people, are, people are, are lucky if they get any sun because they spend most of the time indoors. Right. Right. 
Yeah, most so, people yeah, are. Yeah, most people are vitamin D deficient. I I, I uh, spend a lot of time in the sun. I'm actually in Florida, but I know that still living here, most people are deficient in um, vitamin D pretty much, uh, you know, just year-round. Because a lot of people, again, stay inside, just like you're saying. Um, the, question, the question that I'm thinking of now is just about dealing with people and different types of um, getting them motivated to get themselves better. What are some things that you might do to motivate the patient to kind of like get themselves a little bit better? And maybe we talked about this before, but just specific things that you're doing to, to motivate them. Well, the first thing I have them do really is separate uh, themselves from the problem. And mm-hmm. I just have them do a visualization, and I and I tell them, listen, let's let's pretend that your body's laying on this desk right now. What would you, what would be the right advice? What would you tell it to do? How would you treat it? How would you take care of it? Because that's what we're really going to teach you how to do is how to take better care of yourself and separate yourself from the problem so you can view the problem objectively, right? So we're going to run some diagnostics on you, and we're going to help you understand why you feel this way and help you understand that it's your chemistry, it's your body, it's not you as a person. Because I think most people, they've become so closely identified with their condition that they become their condition. And mm-hmm. then the two are, are not interchangeable. But when we separate the two and help them understand that this is just like you uh, having everything you need and having studied for the test, and then you go to write the test and you jump in your car and, and there's no gas, right? You had every intention, but you just don't have the chemistry. Right. So it, it, it's that really helps the patient, um, you know, separate themselves from the problem. So now they can view it objectively and make better decisions. They can make objective decisions with the testing. And it's not about anyone's opinion. It's not about diagnosing them. It's really about finding out why they have this problem. Our, our, our current system is interesting because you could have a, the same person with 10 different diagnoses and they will treat them all separately and never treat the person. Right? When you think right. about that, it's so how could you have the same person developing 10 different diseases in 10 different ways in 10 different systems? It's obviously all connected. Right. right. It's, the medical system is crazy the way that, that <laughs> things, are, things are panning out. Um, what are some of the, the common conditions that you, um, you see? I know that you had a, on YouTube, I saw that you had a, um, a show there where you were talking about the thyroid, like your your thyroid boot camp, I believe it is. But is that? I would think that that's more common among women. You probably see a little bit in mm-hmm. in men as well. But what are some other things that you see commonly in your practice? We work with a lot of autoimmune patients. Mm-hmm. We actually work with a lot of patients who didn't know they were autoimmune patients because they never had a diagnosis. So our practice, if, if we had to kind of uh, broadly say, we end up seeing a lot of people with autoimmunity. And this could range from things like RA. I had three patients with RA today. Uh, this could also be things like uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It could be uh, MS. It could be psoriasis. So autoimmune diseases are, I mean, they're so rampant now that you could just throw a rock in any, any direction and hit someone who has one. But, mm. you know, the... the the, the thing with autoimmune diseases is they manifest in so many different ways. And the other thing is is that most practitioners don't test for them 
so then they, the patient never even knows they have it. Or they may even have uh, something in dormant stages. They might have predictive antibodies, and therefore there's no changes in their uh, on their diagnostic tests like an MRI, but there's cellular changes that are taking place that aren't being measured in any way. So it's it's really interesting when you can when you can give the person a whole new perspective on their health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can, and those are once you start working with someone and they're taking making the right lifestyle choices as far as changing their diet, they're they're completely reversible, right? In some cases. Yeah, yeah. In, in fact, you know, I posted I posted this on my Facebook page. We had a, a lady whose GAD antibodies were off the charts. They weren't even. It just said greater than um, one hundred, and the normal marker is less than one. And so when she came in to see us, her her antibodies were through the roof. We don't know if they were 101 or if they were 500, but they were off the charts. And then we got it down to less than one in six months. And she also had the same person had nine other autoimmune diseases that were developing subclinically at the same time. She in fact had MS symptoms, but her MS um, was not being it couldn't be measured on an MRI, and it ended up showing up on her blood work. Wow! And, and was so, this the- was it contributed to some things that she might have been eating? Uh, yeah, certainly. She was a type 1 diabetic, and she oh. also started developing Stiffman syndrome. And so with Stiffman syndrome, that's usually related to gluten-related issues. And mm. physically, um, she had facial features of somebody who might be more likely to have a celiac-type uh, disease as well because she had a larger forehead. And so... Mm. Because of that physical presentation, because of her history of autoimmune, the, the first thing we took her off was gluten. Mm-hmm. And instantly she felt uh, better. So diet was a, was a big part of her case. And really, you know, uh, just some of the other conditions that we see since she was a type 1 diabetic, is, is and you were talking about reversing things, type 2 diabetes is, for the most part, 100% reversible. Right? Mm-hmm. If a patient isn't on insulin, then... It's. I would say it's pretty much a hundred percent reversible. Yeah. So I mean, our our success rate is a hundred percent with that. Yeah. It's a, it's insulin, a... insulin, Go ahead. I didn't hear what you said. No, I say once you're on insulin, it's a little bit tougher, but it's still even with them, it's still possible to lower their dose. Yeah. And um, last question for you, uh, Doctor Patel, is. Give us your 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 top five things in order to to be healthy. Top five things you 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 kind of go over with people to to get them moving in toward a, a, a better state of alignment. I would say the first the first thing is aligning with uh, you know our circadian clock, so aligning with nature and aligning with the sunrise and the sunset. I think that's one of the most important things we can do is regulate our sleep and wake cycle appropriately because the most profound thing that happens is we heal when we rest and it's free. It doesn't, we don't have to do anything. We just have to lay there. How beautiful is that? Right. Yeah. But we just have to do it long enough and under the right circumstances and the right pretenses as well, because we have to kind of set up our day to set up, set up our sleep schedule. And what's happened over the last, you know, hundred years or so, since the light bulb was invented is we've gone from having, you know, uh, 10 hours of sleep a night to having, you know, five to six hours of sleep, seven if we're lucky. And the problem with that is it's not that we're just sleeping less, but we're filling those three to four hours with high stress activities. 
right? So it's not like you're just chilling out for three hours. You're actually working three hours more or on the computer three hours more or bringing, you know, doing things three hours more. And so sleep, I think, is, is the first thing I would work on with patients because they can do it that night, you know, um, and aligning with the circadian clock. So that's one of the easiest things they can do. They talk a lot about breathing because everyone has to breathe, right? It's one of the most important things. If you stop doing it for four minutes, you're dead. So <laughs> breathing is huge, and, and most people, it's, it's very, um, again, you have to do it, and I can teach you how to do it right now, and you can start doing it. So sleep, breathing, uh, you know, elimination of common allergens, so the gluten and dairy would be good places to start for most people. And then the other thing is movement. We require movement. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you, it's absolutely required, just like water is for a plant. Movement is required for not just our musculoskeletal system, but our digestive system, for our brain and neurological system, for our, uh, you know, gene expression. And the last one, that one's tough, um, you know, but I would say mental attitude, Right. It's, mm-hmm. And really, it's more, it's really loving yourself because you have to love yourself to do these things. You have to love yourself to take care of yourself. So if you do that, then the other five, the other four kind of fall, everything falls into place, really. Yeah, it's a lot of folks out there that don't love themselves or don't think that they are worthy of, you know, being in good health. So I, I would definitely agree with you on that fifth tip. When are you, um, you said you were writing a book. When are you going to be done with your book? Well, the idea, the goal is to have it done by December. Okay. And <laughs> so, I, you know, this is, I mean, this is part of the journey, right, is connecting yeah. with people like yourself and, and um, you know, just picking people's brains and, and figuring out what makes people tick. You know, so these are the things that are part of this project. What, I, what I'm really looking to do is, is interview 20 people who are very successful and very motivated and, and very entrepreneurial and actually test their blood chem- test their biochemistry. So, for example, with you, what I'd love to do is send you an organic acid kit, right, and figure out what your biochemistry is like mm-hmm. and then help you understand it. And if you take people who are very motivated and very driven, and let's say you imagine you had Tony Robbins' biochemistry. Right. How cool would that be, right? Yeah. So <laughs> the idea... So the idea of the book is to basically um, help people understand dopamine, how it works, how it functions, mm-hmm. and how they can improve it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get that done, I'd love to have a copy of that to see, um, to read it, check it out. You sound like yeah. you're on the lines of. Um, I read. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Julia Ross, The Mood Cure. I read her book, um, like last year or so. And uh, she's along the lines of, you know, what you're doing and just uh, dealing, working with people with different brain chemistry and boosting their dopamine and serotonin and different things like that. So it'd be great. Um, what's your website? If people want to get in contact with you, um, where can they get in contact with you if they want to start working with you? Sure. So people can certainly visit our, visit our website. It's uh, www.livingproofinstitute.com. That's livingproofinstitute.com. And we've got lots of blog articles, lots of videos. There's um, entire education campaigns that we've created for patients so that we've um, got a whole education series on the thyroid. It's called Thyroid Boot Camp, so people can also go there if they want, thyroidbootcamp.com. 
and register for a 30, uh, a 30 email series of articles and videos and recipes and, and all kinds of stuff for thyroid patients. So we've created yeah. a, a, you know, a self-care program for these people. Yeah. And you also had a diet side as well. I can't remember what that one was, but tell us that one as well. Uh, sure. It's uh, drpatelsdiet.com. Okay, great, great. Anything else you want to leave us with before I let you go? I know you have a wife and a kid. It's probably keeping you busy. So uh, anything else you wanted to say uh, before I, I let you go? Well, you know, I just want to say, you know, thank you. And I, I certainly appreciate this opportunity. I hope I uh, added some value uh, to your listeners' lives. And, and really, you know, if I could send one message out there to the people is, is to just trust their health, trust their body, because, their body knows nothing except how to keep them healthy. And when we can uh, turn to it with, you know, uh, humility and gratitude for everything that it's done for us, the dynamic and the relationship and the conversations that you have with yourself completely change. Because I have to remind my patients and, you know, remind myself sometimes that, you know, my heart beats 100,000 times a day, you know, and it blows my mind that it'll do that for the rest of my life. Right. And then I, you know, people turn around at 60 and they start blaming their, their cardiovascular system for, for, you know, developing a disease when really it's, it's all it's ever done is taking care of you. Right. Yeah. From the, even before, even before you were born. Right. That's the first system that developed in your body. And then so we turn our backs on it and then we expect it to get better. Right. And by the very nature of giving medications and pumping people full of toxic drugs, what we're doing is we're telling the body subconsciously that you don't know what you're doing. You're unintelligent. Yeah. And that's, one of, the worst, that's, one, of the biggest, that's one of the biggest mistakes we've made in, in our healthcare system and the way people think about their health. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Never had, never had it uh, said like that, but that's very well said. Um, Dr. Thank Patel, you. thank you. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I really enjoy speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. With uh, with much love, I appreciate it. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thank you. All right. All right. All right. Great show. Um, learned a lot. Functional medicine, getting motivated, how to get yourself into a different mindset. And I re- I agree totally with what Dr. Patel said. A lot of times we tell the body it's stupid by putting drugs and different things into it. And the body has the innate ability to heal itself. And most of the time it's just contaminated by our minds and what we're thinking. And lots of times we need to just reach out to someone who can get us back into that alignment and get us moving forward to our health and our wellness goals. So great show tonight. Next week um, I'm going to be doing an on-demand show with Dr. Amber Brooks. Um, She's going to be coming on. I'm really I don't have any kids, but I, I have nephews, and I'm really, really into changing the landscape for our children who are coming up eating a lot of processed foods. There's a lot of things like autism that are out there as well. And I'll be talking to her Monday. I'll be recording the show with her Monday, and then the show will be loaded up on Blog Talk for you to listen to Wednesday at the same time. So you just click on the show, and you'll be able to listen. And I believe her book is 15 Things You're I think it's 15 kids. Your pedi- 15 things your pediatrician or doctor doesn't know about your child. Can't remember what this uh, exact title is, but I'll, I'll get it down uh, before I interview her. But that should be an interesting show because I think that 
things start with our children. We as adults, we're kind of ingrained in our habits, but if you can catch your child at that early age and then start teaching them what to eat, how to feel, going to bed at the right times, and, and, and really taking care of themselves, you have much less health problems. And kids know a lot themselves. They have a very good innate ability to catch on to things and really like them and make them fun for themselves. So I think this going that's going to be a really good show. So next week will be Amber Brooks and it'll be an on-demand show. All the shows that I've done are located in iTunes or you can listen to them in Stitcher. You can also go to blogtalkradio.com and just type in Fat Man Radio and then all the shows will come up there and you can listen to any one of the shows that you'd like to listen to. So good night tonight. Thank you for listening. Peace and love, and I'll see you same fat time, same fat channel next week. Thank you.